I like to call alphabet soup. I think most of us spend a lot of time mentoring students and we always get a lot of questions um, every January by all of the third year students about the process of the match and how there's so many different acronyms for different things and so many different organizations and platforms involved and it can be very confusing to know what you need to do when. So today we're going to talk through all of that and define everything and help explain it to you. So I'd love to get your opinion, Thomas, kind of of how when you were at that point in your third year, if you felt like you had a handle on this or if you felt like you had to go a lot of places to figure it out or kind of what your experience was. So I think in my third year, it was first just hearing from what my school at Campbell told me about how away rotations would look like and what going into the match would be like. But it was a lot of asking my fourth year upper level students about exactly what does this even entail? I think that's probably where I got most of my advice from fourth year students and also just from looking online and being like, what does this even mean? What's the process? And a lot of maybe online reading Reddit or just reading any website that had any sort of information on it about costs and application style. What do I need to do? How do I stand out? How many programs do I apply to? All different things like that. I think even for some of us that are a few years away from the process as from applying, it's crazy how much things have changed. It used to be there was really one platform for away rotations, one platform you received interview offers in, and now there's multiple. So I think it it's easy to understand how it get, get confusing as a student. So I think that's what we're here to break down today. And without tooting our own horn, um, we're trying to condense a lot of that information into one single location for you all out there listening, because it shouldn't be on your shoulders to try to hunt down every single little piece of information. So we're going to open the conversation with the acronym and the process that's probably first presented to you earliest in this entire third to fourth year transition, which for my students usually begins sometime in January of third year. And they, your school of medicine starts throwing out these words about VSAS and VSLOW. Care to break down for us exactly what those are and what that means? So my understanding is that VSLOW has pretty much replaced VSAS. So VSLOW is the word you need to know, and that stands for Visiting Student Learning Opportunities. And it's a database run by the AAMC that allows you to search and apply for away rotation. The nice thing about this platform, VSLOW, is that it really can condenses everything into one place. So you only need one application to apply for any program that uses VSLOW to pick students for their rotations. There are some other examples we'll give later, but you can upload if you need a personal statement, if you need your vaccinations, your grades, any kind of letters they might require. And each site will have their own criteria and costs that you'll have to make sure that's uploaded, but you only have to do one application. It is the newer version of what was prior, formerly known as VSAS. So VSLOW is the artist formerly known as VSAS. So if you hear your advisors say VSAS, just smile and nod and realize that we're all just slightly behind the times and we really mean VSLOW. There aren't two different systems out there. And like Molly said, typically this is something you start looking at around January, February. And my understanding is that you can start submitting applications typically around April 1st. Usually you will see applications open for different programs sometime in the March to May type of time. 
The problem with vSlow is that there is not one unified release date for, for applications to start being accepted. So it really is on your shoulders to be checking back frequently and regularly to see when programs actually are now starting to accept uh, applications. One of the things that you will need in order to submit your application is a token from your school to be able to access the site in its entirety. So if you're one of the many, many overachievers out there and you're thinking, hey, I've got a little bit of free time in November, I might as well get a jump on this now. Unfortunately, you can't. What you can do early in advance is work on your CV and have that ready to go. Work on getting your immunization records. Um, A lot of programs require antibody titers for things like MMR in order for you to apply so you can get those in advance. So there are things that you can be doing in advance, but you won't be able to actually access the site until your school releases tokens to you. And with your immunization form, the AMC comes out with a standardized form so that you can have everything all in one place. And that comes out yearly. So this year they changed one thing on the immunization form. So I had to get it signed second time. But yeah, so that comes out. Also, there's a different date for when programs start accepting applications versus when they start notifying students that they're offered an opportunity. So just take a note of that as well. Would you say that most of the programs you were interested in doing a ways at used VSAS or VSLOW? Yeah. Oh, I... I applied to a good amount of programs and they all all used VSLOW. I didn't use anything else besides VSLOW. We will talk here in just a minute about EMRA Match. And I'll mention just now because it relates to VSLOW. EMRA Match has a specific subsection of programs that you have to apply to directly for an away rotation who actually do not use the VSAS VSLOW system. But there is a newer player uh, on the away rotation application stage. Talk to us about Clinician Nexus. What do we know about this one? So I actually just looked at this up this morning because this is something that one of my students told me that they had to use um, in the last cycle. Um, from what I could see, it looks very similar as far as the platform goes to the slow. Um, it's just a different platform. Um, but it's another place that programs can choose to use to select students. And from what I can see, you upload all of the same information as you would to VSlow. It's just a secondary platform. I don't know if anyone else has any experience using it. It seems pretty new from what I saw. I just had some of my students this last year um, begin to talk to me about Clinician Nexus as well. It seems same information, maybe a little bit less of a cost, but I would hesitate to say that it is anywhere nearly as pervasive as the VSLOW system. And so more than likely, most residency programs are still going to be using VSLOW to choose their away rotators. So I think that's probably a good segue into talking about how you decide what programs to apply to both for away rotations and just in general for residency. I don't think that the VSLOW site is the best place to go to get all of that information. That site is more for the actual audition rotation information. So there's a couple different programs that you can use. These tools don't give you any advice on where to apply or they're not going to tell you if they think you'll match to a specific program, but they're places that you can go to get a lot of information. And because there's so many variables that go into picking programs, they allow you to filter things, which can be really nice if you're someone who doesn't have a geographic preference or you're starting with every program on your list. So I don't know if there's any that anyone wants to take the lead on. I've looked at IMRA Match the most. It is 
free. So that's a benefit. I mean, why not look at it? It's nice because you can actually hover over different locations across the United States and it'll show you the programs available. So I think that one's a a really easy one just to play with and use and also specific to our specialty. So that one I'm the most familiar with. I think it's really good for a lot of osteopathic applicants as well, just because there is a specific tab for the percent of osteopaths in the program. And I know for some people that may be primarily just taking Comlex or interested in going to a predominantly osteopathic program, you can search that pretty easily, which is nice. That's a good filter for a lot of our audience. As as someone who I only took Comlex level one and two, so I definitely use that as well. It was really nice to have like a map feature, just if you are going geographically, to have something easy to look at the map, and also whether or not they take USMLE only or both or doesn't matter. But I would also caution now that a lot of things are changing. It depends on when they have updated that website. So you can see on the bottom of the little tab on the side when exactly the last time they've updated that is. So a lot of times I would check the program website and sometimes it would differ, especially just on that little point of USMLE Comlex. In terms of rapidity of updates, it is probably the most updated cohesive list of emergency medicine resources that is out there. But it's very true. Little details do change. And sometimes programs are a few months behind in giving all the information to EMRA for that update. We should probably pause for a second and explain what EMRA is. Because for a lot of these other databases that you can use to research that we're going to talk about in a minute, they're run by organizations that aren't predominantly student-driven, whereas EMRA is student-driven. And so in the past, I've had students that have served on the EMRA board. And so when they've seen small things with EMRA Match that may not be as up-to-date, they really are passionate about updating it and changing it because they want it to be useful to them and their peers. So I think that's why it gets updated so much more, because it's more student-driven. With EMRA standing for the Emergency Medicine Residency Associations, the longest running um, resident association in the specialty. It's a fantastic um, thing to get involved in, as well as all of the other amazing um, resident and student organizations that are out there, the RSA, RSO, etc. The other nice thing that I like about EMRA Match is you can search for clerkships, residency programs, and even fellowship programs. You can begin to see, okay, well, if I do an away rotation at this particular site, is that a site that also has a residency program? and that'll give you a little bit of insight maybe into the type of away rotation you're you're going to be um, getting yourself into, as well as help offer uh, some more guidance as to if you might get an interview off of that particular rotation. If you're somebody who already knows the entirety of the future of your life that you want to do, say, a fellowship in wilderness medicine, and you're interested in going to a place where that is a key thing, you can see if they've got different fellowships available. It's just a really nice usable site. But to bring back an oldie but goodie that I used when I was applying because Emra Match didn't exist yet, Frida. Poor Frida. We loved and hated Frida. And now it's back. And now (laughs) it's back. Anybody care to explain what Frida is? So Frida is a tool that is from the AMA, the American Medical Association. My understanding, though, for this one is it's not open access. So you can look at some of it open access, but you have to be a member to be able to have a dashboard where you can save and compare and rank programs. There also is a residency calculator that could potentially help you decide your competitiveness at some of these programs. But because 
I don't have access to it. I haven't played around with it a ton. The nice thing about Frida is they do have some different data than Emra Match. So Emra Matched has more of the actual program data, but Frida has quite a bit of the institution's data. So if you are someone that wants to look at the percentage female faculty, the percentage female residents, you want to see if a program has childcare or certain medical insurance or those kind of things, it has more of that institution level data inputted in it as well, because it's not just EM specific, it goes across all specialties. So that can be one reason that you might want to look there. When I was going through that, I realized that some of that data, of course, wasn't actually as up to date as Emmer Match, especially with their percent DO, percent MD, percent MG. I would go on there with their website and for their most recent classes and be like, this, these percentages don't match. But they do give, like you said, a lot of other good information about like salary or like you mentioned. Yeah, they do a lot more of the institution level data since they are spanning specialties, which can be nice depending on what you're looking for and what variables are important to you. And there's also Residency Explorer. I hear my dean's office actually referring a lot of students to this particular resource because it seems to combine a lot of different data from pretty major organizations like NRMP, the NBME, ARIS, and the ACGME in order to give students more exposure to individual residency programs and a lot of the just nitty gritty nuts and bolts kind of information about that program. So how many residents do they take? What are the different specialties that are offered? Just basic factual information. So it is a really good place to begin to explore just some of the curricular details about different programs. It's probably important to mention that that one is also free. So it's very easily accessible for students. I feel like this whole process is already expensive enough. You don't need to be adding on other expenses when there's free options. Man, when I think back to the money that I spent during this entire interview process, I'll take whatever free we can possibly get. The last one that I wanted to bring up, just because I don't think that a lot of students know about what ACGME is, is so ACGME is the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education, and that's the organization that accredits all EM programs. You can actually go on their website and search programs accreditation, and they'll tell you things like when they're up for accreditation again, when they last had a site visit. And things like that. So if you have any concerns about a program or something came up in the interview that you wanted to look up, there is some information there that you can use as well. And also, it's just important to understand what ACGME is, since it will probably come up a lot at different times during the process, your interviews, etc. So we've talked about ways you can look for away rotations, ways you can look for residency programs, and a few different search engines that are out there for you. Let's get into the details about how you actually become a resident. And that starts with your ARIS application, the Electronic Residency Application Service. Thomas, what was your experience pouring your entire life, soul, hopes, and dreams into a singular application? Oh, one of the things I dream about at night. and <laughs> Nightmares? And, Nightmares. Oh, it also it doesn't just, have a built-in spell check. I don't know how you feel about that. That's, that's why we now spell check um, in the Word document before we do anything else uh, with that. So yeah, we make sure to pre-Aris spell check, but it's definitely a daunting task. And one that will take a little bit of time. And it's not just a afternoon stroll in the park. I will also say I'm familiar with this from the other side. 
working with the residency program, this is where we submit our slows and letters of recommendation for the students. If we're trying to make comparisons to make things simpler for you as a student, V-slow, yes, I'm finally saying that instead of V-sass, V-slow, is the heiress version of auditions. And then heiress is where you apply to residency. So they're very similar in the sense that they're both these centralized online application. And so for this, you're going to get your dean's letter, you're going to get your slows, your letters, your board scores all uploaded to this system, and you'll fill out one application and then check all the programs that you want to apply to and decide which letters and which personal statements you're sending to each one. But everything goes through one system, so it's very centralized for you. You're not sending applications separately to all the programs. We will warn everybody that the details of the heiress application, so how many experiences you can list, the number of characters that you have for different sections, that has a tendency to change every single year. So in a shameless plug for ourselves, please look out for our heiress updates podcast that we'll be posting a little bit later this year. We will walk through a lot of those changes for you and also give you some resources that you can go to in order to get the details about how exactly to fill out every individual section of the heiress application. But I think Thomas's point and agree with me or disagree with me as you will about starting it early and being really careful with it is probably the two best pieces of advice for students to walk away from. It is not an easy thing to do, right? Absolutely. I do a lot of advising for the Campbell students, and we start we start having people work on their CVs, personal statements in the spring. And then Eris actually opens usually beginning of June, where you can start working on your application and you have all summer to get it right and fill in all of the boxes and get all of your letters of recommendation. The target is to have everything done by the end of September. Um, You can start applying to programs by the end of September, and then they usually can start viewing your applications um, shortly after. Now, Dr. Carrick, you had mentioned slows. Yes. Now, isn't that one of those really scary words that students hear all the time, right? Talk to us. What is CORD and what are they doing with my slows and what are both of those? Yes. Okay. CORD. Council of Residency Directors. That's the overarching organization. Then each specialty has their own branch of CORD. So it's an organization, but it also has conferences as well and resources and a big website. So through Council of Residency Directors, they have created the SLOW, the Standard Letter of Evaluation, and it's sometimes also called the e-slow, the electronic standardized letter of evaluation. Okay. So the two E-slow. are used interchangeably. Yep. Or slow e. Some people oh say my gosh. slow e. <laughs> Any combination of the pronunciation thereof. <laughs> so it's broken down into different pieces that each program or EM physician that's filling this out for a student can just fill in the details. And it has to do with different characteristics of the applicant. If it's a program that's filling this out with a re- resident program that's filling this out. There are some different points in it where you rank this applicant against, say, all of the applicants that you had last year. Would this would this applicant be in your top 10%, top half, something like that, so that they know kind of where they fall and you can judge them that way against their peers. So 
there's different slowies or slows for each place that you rotate. So residency programs have one different kind compared to if you would go and rotate with an individual physician at a non-academic location. There's another one that you can do if you're rotating at a fellowship location or then an off-service slow for surgery, anesthesia, ICU that could be very applicable to emergency medicine. So what I hear you saying is that CORD is a little bit of the governing body for residency programs, and they're the ones that kind of ensure that everybody is doing mostly the same things in terms of how they're running their programs. And that through CORD, they've created these standardized forms for your emergency medicine-specific letters of recommendation. And that depending on who's writing the form and the type of rotation you did, there's a different type of slow that can be used for each of those experiences. Exactly. Perfect summary. (laughs) And I think to add to that, I get a lot of questions from students asking, how do I ask for a slow and how does it get uploaded to my ARIS application? So obtaining the slow is the first part of it. The new forms, they update the forms every year. So every July, check the CORD website for their latest form, and it'll have the application year at the top. So you know you're using the correct one. Every residency program that you rotate at should be willing to write you a slow at the end of your rotation. I generally tell people to expect about two weeks or so after your rotation for the program to complete your slow. You will need to send them a letter of recommendation request, an LOR request from ARIS to the point person at that program. And instead of uploading a standard narrative letter, they will upload the slow to your application. The same is true for all the different um, subtypes of slows. So if you're going to request an O-slow, an off-service slow for, say, an anesthesia rotation, you would ask your preceptor to use that form in place of a narrative letter. You would still send an ARIS LOR request to the letter writer, but you would ask them to use that specific form in place of a narrative letter. They also do a great job on the CORD website if you go to the slow page where they have a click here if you're a medical student and they give you a frequently asked questions. There's also a little YouTube video that has examples of what the form looks like so you have an idea um, what you're going to be evaluated on and you can kind of get an understanding of what what those look like and what the different forms look like. Um, But I think the big point to remember is You can't do this until the new forms come out in the summer. So if you have a third year rotation or a rotation coming up that you want to obtain a letter, you would just ask your preceptor and then let them know that you would like it in this standardized form and that you'll send it to them later in the year. If you're going to be applying to multiple specialties, these are EM specific. So you would need to ask someone to write a slow for your EM application and then a narrative writer for whatever other specialty you plan to apply to. What's nice about my ways that I've done already, it's generally understood that you're coming there also for a slow, especially early in the season in July and in August, September. So most of the programs just automatically come out and say, we will have your slow done by X date. If it's not uploaded by that date, just let us know. You don't really even have to ask. They'll just come out and say it. So it takes a little bit of the stress off of you to be like, hello, can I 
talk to you about something. <laughs> so can you pretty yes. please write me a letter? Exactly. Pretty please. Like, I'm a really cool person. Please. Dr. Carrick might be able to give her opinion of this when she was at Norman, but I actually prefer writing slows over narrative letters um, because everything is pretty spelled out and you're mostly clicking boxes, comparing the student, and there is a narrative portion at the end, but it's much less than what you would write if you're writing a whole body of a letter. So it's actually easier for your preceptors to do. I know sometimes it seems like this daunting process to explain to your ICU intensivist, can you please fill out this special thing? But really, it's easier for them and takes less time than writing the actual letter, in my experience. Oh, I completely agree. Yes, it definitely spells out what to evaluate on. And we actually had a committee that we used. So they would be in charge of making sure all the slows were written and would get multiple people to help with input because you may not have worked at student very much. So it's nice to have other people there to offer some opinion of, oh, yeah, I was on that, you know, several shift with that student and I can offer some insight in that, make it more personalized. That comes up a lot. And I know most of you guys have been faculty at programs before. I have a lot of students who get very flustered by the fact that whoever is the point person for the slow, they've never met them. So can you speak a little bit about how that's maybe is or isn't a big deal from your perspective? It's not a big deal at all. So we consolidate all the feedback from every single person that you worked with over the course of your entire month rotation with us into one letter. That's one of the reasons why these letters are so powerful in the world of emergency medicine and why they are a requirement for your ARIS application, because it is the entire department's perspective of your success in this in your future of emergency medicine. And it's the entire representation, not just one person. And they're purposefully designed that way because you're going to have bad days and bad shifts and not hit it off personality-wise with one person. And that shouldn't be a reason why you get completely torpedoed on a letter of recommendation. So it is the consensus statement of everybody for you. And I will say one other thing, in order for your ARIS application to really be reviewed by emergency medicine residency programs, you need at least one slow already posted when ARIS is released at the end of September. So when you're planning out when to do your sub-interns, your acting internship rotations in emergency medicine, make sure that you're getting at least one done with plenty of time to get a slow off of that rotation before the end of September. So minimum of one away rotation sometime between the months of June and August. I think this would be a good time to wrap up our discussion of CORD. The only other thing I think we should bring up is CORD does a good job of publishing joint statements on issues that come up each year with the match. They were the ones that kind of spearheaded a statement between multiple organizations during COVID. Um, they've helped out with decisions on if interviews are going to remain virtual, how many interview invites you should cap yourself off. They do a good job of giving advice on that every year. So that's something that usually comes out around the same time as the updated forms as a joint statement. So you've done your away rotations, you've completed your residency application, you've gotten your slows, and you are now prepped and primed for interviews. So are you ready for some more unusual terms? Let's dive into interview offers. We've got three big ways that you might receive an offer for an interview through ARIS, through Interview Broker, and through Thalamus. So what's up with that? So these are platforms, again, like we've talked about in the past with applying, and programs subscribe to whatever platform works best for them. 
that is how you will receive an invite to interview at their program. And you have to log in, accept it, choose your date. There's some different things involved, but this is the platform that you'll be using to accept and cancel if that becomes a thing or change your date or whatever you might need to do as far as interviewing goes. Now, it's important to notice these are not things that you need to sign up for individually. It is just simply the program that has signed up to use this platform, and you will receive notification from the platform. So actually, something that my students have run into in the past is because you didn't sign up for this, sometimes these emails might end up in your spam folder. Not often, but if you've got a really aggressive school spam folder, make sure that after applications go out, when interview offers start to be sent, usually mid-October of the fall of your fourth year, that you are regularly checking your spam filter as well as your normal inbox to find these offers. So the last thing that we want to talk about is actually matching. And this is where some students um, get confused every year. Um, Do you want to kind of talk about this process? Sure. So the two absolute platforms you need to have, one is we already talked about And then the other one is the NRMP, which is the National Resident Matching Program. So all of your applications have gone in through ARIS, and that's where you apply to programs. But to actually match, unfortunately, you have to have a separate account with the NRMP to place your ranks. So you register in the fall of fourth year. The absolute deadline to register is usually end of January, I believe. And I usually try and send an email reminder to all of our fourth year students to make sure that they've actually registered for the match. Because if you don't register for for the match, you can't match. Yes. So your school will provide you with your token. So you open your NRMP account. And at the end of interview season, usually in February, you enter the programs that you interviewed at and rank them in order of your preference of where you would like to do residency. And then the program on the opposite side is ranking their students in in the uh, preference order. And then it closes and there's a two-week, two to three three-week lag and an algorithm happens behind the scenes and students find out on match day whether or not they matched. And then at the end of the match week, they'll find out where they matched. And you may have mentioned this, but there's also a fee associated with this registration. So that's something to keep in mind. Yes. And it, it is based on how many programs you rank. So the more you rank, the more you pay. That brings us to our last acronym of the day. And that is the SOAP, which is the Supplemental Offer and Acceptance Program. So like you mentioned, typically a Monday, you will find out whether or not you matched, but you won't know where you matched. So if that day you unfortunately are told that you don't match, then you would participate in the SOAP program. Does anyone want to speak on what that is? So SOAP is the process by which any unmatched students can apply for residency for in unfilled programs. You can apply within the same specialty that you originally applied to, or you can apply to other specialties. Need a new application or how will I do that? The application is still through ARIS and you can update, you can make updates to your application. So you can upload a new personal statement if you decide to apply to a different specialty, 
or if you need to address issues in maybe why you didn't match. Um, you can also obtain new letters of recommendation, but it's all still done within the ARIS platform. They do cap the number of programs you apply to, and programs will then review your application and reach out to you to initiate some sort of interview if they're interested in your application. After you go through interviews, there are three rounds of supplemental offers. Dr. Bowers, you want to talk about that? I think we'll leave the details of that for another podcast just because that does change quite a bit. But it is important to know that there are multiple rounds. And then by the end of the week, the SOAP closes and everyone finds out where they matched, whether you initially matched in the first batch or you went through the SOAP by that Friday. And that completes match week, which something you're probably looking forward to. So we've talked a lot today about this whole process and the different platforms and organizations that you should be aware of. Hopefully you have a better idea of what's to come and what you need to know about. The big take-homes for today. I think the big take-home for me personally would be that there's many different EM organizations and they offer a lot of different free resources for students. And it's important to know what resources are available to you. Do you guys have any take-homes that you want to share? I would say there's a lot of helpful platforms out there, but there's only three must-haves. VSLOW, you will need to apply to away rotations. ARIS, you need to apply to residency programs. And NRMP, you need to match. No, that's a great breakdown. Absolutely. I think as many medical students learn throughout their uh, early years about how many resources there are, in medical school and then you start narrowing it down to the ones that you like um, same thing with this there's a lot of resources and figure out what is the best for you whether it is the free app or whatever decide what's best and go with that i think there's a lot of dates to remember so i think that the blog that you all are going to have will help students keep track of those dates the one i would make sure you pay attention to is getting one of those audition rotations so that you can get one of those slows for your application through ARIS. So, you know, in the summer, June through July, August, September, something like that, so you can get that first letter when when applications are released in, in September, I think is a good one to remember. Having a good timeline and then also knowing which platforms you must sign up for and register for is really going to be successful. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for joining us today. I really enjoyed all of your input, and I feel like this will be very helpful for our third-year students especially. And that caps another episode of Med Student Over Easy. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for making it all the way to the end of that Med Student Over Easy episode. Don't forget, you can follow us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or head on over to our blog, emovereasy.com. Also, don't forget, we are the official podcast for the American College of Osteopathic Emergency Physicians. You can learn more about this great organization by heading to acoep.org, where you can find about an upcoming CME event where you might get to see a few of your EM over easy hosts live and in person for a show. Until next time, thanks so much. Mm -hmm.